Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you for tuning in to the Hope, Strength, Courage podcast. Love and support for parents whose kids are fighting for their lives. A weekly podcast created to support parents and caregivers of children diagnosed with cancer. Where you will find resources collected to help you face each day with hope, strength, and courage. From interviews with the top experts in their fields, doctors, psychologists, chaplains, and inspiring frontline workers in pediatric oncology as they share their best advice, as well as day-to-day advice collected from other cancer moms and leaders in personal growth and development. From individuals who understand how hard it can be, I hope you will feel better prepared to cope with the day-to-day challenges of caring for your child. Hi, I'm Laura Lane and I'm your host. My own daughter Celeste was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 12. In 2015, I wrote about our experiences in the book, Two Mothers, One Prayer, Facing Your Child's Cancer with Hope, Strength, and Courage. Since that time, I've dedicated thousands of hours to share with other parents and caregivers the resources, tips, tools, skills, and strategies I learned that helped our family to stay happier, healthier, and more hopeful. My goal is to share with you my interviews with experts to support you as you care for a child with cancer. Today's episode features part two of my interview with world-renowned pediatric surgeon, author and speaker, Dr. Bernie Siegel. This interview continues with Bernie's wonderful storytelling and his great advice for parents. During this episode, he shares with us stories behind the books he has written for both adults and children. I especially love the stories about what he calls the Siegel Family Zoo. I hope you will enjoy as much as I did. I am pleased to formally introduce you to Dr. Bernie Siegel. Dr. Siegel is a retired clinical professor, pediatric surgeon, renowned author, and speaker. For many, Bernie needs no introduction. He has touched many lives all over our planet. Dr. Siegel retired from practice as an assistant clinical professor of surgery at Yale of general and pediatric surgery surgery in 1989 to speak to patients and their caregivers. In 1978, he began talking about patient empowerment and the choice to live fully and die in peace. As a physician who has cared for and counseled innumerable people whose mortality has been threatened by an illness, Bernie embraces a philosophy of living and dying that stands at the forefront of the medical ethics and spirituality issues our society grapples with today. He continues to assist in the breaking of new ground in the field of healing and personally struggling to live the message of kindness and love. His best-selling books include Love, Medicine, and Miracles, Peace, Love, and Healing, and How to Live Between Office Visits. Bernie has been named one of the top 20 spiritually influential living people on the planet by the Watkins Review. Bernie and his wife and co-worker Bobby live in a suburb of New Haven, Connecticut. What, um, tell me about some of the books that you've written and you would, that you would recommend if someone needed to go and pick up one of your books. 
um, well, themselves it, or their child. You mentioned, the ones. I never expected to write so many books in my life because um, I was an artist as a child and got a C. The only C in four years of college was in creative writing. <laughs> so I never expected to write a book. But it showed me, again, there are no coincidences that all the people came together to help me start doing that. Yes. Um, when you mentioned the one, uh, Love, Magic, and Mud Pies, it was how to raise a child, see, to feel loved uh -huh. and make a difference. I'd say that if it's a parent, yes, read that. Because literally, the most significant factor in health is how you're raised as a child. Mm -hmm. Now, why do I say that? A Harvard study showed that students, while they were attending Harvard, who said, my parents loved me. When they were looked up 35 years later, 24% had suffered a major illness. When they said, no, my parents didn't love me, 98% had suffered a major illness. Yeah. So if you want your child to take care of him or herself, love them. I didn't say you have to like everything they do. You know, as a father of five children, I let the kids know I loved them. And let me give you another example. That same child I mentioned who had the bone tumor, he came to me one day and said, you don't love me as much as, you know, my sister and brothers. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you have five children. They should each get 20% of your time. I only get 10%. I said, your brother is driving us nuts, so he gets 30 and you see, that's something that children learn, mm -hmm. whether it's the bully at school or the troublemaker at home, at least you get attention. Yeah. And the good child, as this young man was, was at the end of the hall in the last bedroom because we didn't care about what would happen if his door was shut or what he was doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, we you cared about it. him, but we didn't worry about what's he doing. Yeah. While the boy I mentioned, he was in a room off the kitchen, so everybody always knew what he was doing <laughs> yeah. to keep track of him. But it was also, you know, they knew they were loved. That same troublemaker sent us, I mean, they're all adults now, sent us an email saying, I want you to know how much your love meant to me. In case something happened to me and I couldn't tell you this, I want to let you know now. And he sent an email that just, I say, it's like winning the lottery of life when your adult child says, thank you for your love. Yeah. And I'd say, let the kids know you love them. Uh, there was one child I was taking care of. I walked into his room. The parents were in the crib with him, all sleeping. Uh-huh. And I left That's a note. It. I mean, it felt so loving in that room. I left a note saying, your child is so lucky. And then I'm walking down the hall thinking, dumbbell, the child is dying and you're telling them he's lucky. So I ran back to get my note and the parents had awakened and found it. And I said, look, I'm sorry. They said, no, we understand what you're saying. Our child is fortunate to have the love. And because then they make the right decisions, you know, not smoking, not eating the wrong things, alcoholism, whatever it is, self-destructive behavior, uh, they're into, I'm loved, I'm worth something. Yes. And they know that. And I may add, doctors can make that message come across too. Um, and to all those who are helping children, even if they're not your natural child, suicidal teenager was in my office. And I was trying to help her. And she said to me one day, 
you're my CD. I said, I'm a CD? What are you talking about? You're my chosen dad. Oh. And boy, yeah, that touched me. And I have never stopped saying that to people since. And it has saved a lot of lives. Mm -hmm. Because I have phone calls. One was a few years ago. Do you have Jack Kevorkian's phone number? I want to be dead. I have a brain tumor. My father sexually abused me. I want to be dead. I said, I don't have his number, but I want you to know I love you and God loves you. And you're a child of God and draw me some pictures. And she drew some with spots all over her face and one. She said, yeah, that's how many times my father did it. The other was a tree with a big black knot hole. And I know those were the years. In other words, if the tree represent her age, right. those are the years her father abused her. Mm -hmm. But we talked about it. I let her know. And I said, let's start a new life for you. Give yourself a new name. And um, what I loved, which was no coincidence, she picked my mother's name, Rose, as her new name. And so she went from Becky to Rosie uh -huh. and is alive today. And my child, okay, let's yeah. put it that way. I mean, we have a wonderful relationship. She's out of state, but we've met and we communicate email and you know, birthday cards and Father's Day and all those things. I always say I expect a card from her before any of our other children, you know. And so let me say it doesn't matter how old the other person is. Just say, let me be your chosen dad or chosen mom. Yeah. Then they're not rejected. See, the opposite of love is indifference, rejection and abuse. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have more stories about children. Child was sexually abused by his parents and their friends. I mean, literally, he said, if I wanted a TV set in my bedroom, I had to do a favor for somebody. Mm -hmm. And he developed AIDS before there was really anything, you know, when it first came out, the epidemic. Yeah. And he called one day and he said, Dr. Siegel, because I was trying to help him survive, I'm going to commit suicide. <clears throat> I said, Tony, I know people in New York will get you a gun, you can kill your parents. Why kill yourself? You know, the other kids aren't killing themselves, they're killing their parents and everybody else. Out of revenge. Yeah. He said, and I never forget this answer, no, I never want to be like them. He didn't want to hurt anybody. Uh -huh. He said, I'm going down the subway to jump in front of the A train. And this will make you believe in angels. <laughs> because a few hours later, the phone rings. Hi, Dr. Siegel, it's Tony. What happened? I went to the subway and there was no train. It didn't <laughs> come. And I'm looking around, wondering what to do. And there was a hotline number for suicide prevention. So I called them and they came and rescued me and taught me what was important about life, mm -hmm. you know, which was love. Yeah. And you know, as I say, no coincidence again yeah. that a kid like that ends up finding a new life. Yeah. And I'd say any authority figure, you know, whether it's the doctor, the parent, the school teacher, the politician, if they let somebody know, I love you, it changes that person's view of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I am. When you were talking about the parents who were in the crib with their child, I've done that with my daughter. When she was an infant and she had pertussis, 
and we were in the hospital. I climbed in the crib with her and nursed her there. And when she was in the hospital um, doing her chemo treatments, they couldn't keep me out of her bed. Right. She was constantly climbing in. It, yeah, let me say this also so people understand it's scientific. You can do this little study for yourself at home. Put your hand in a bucket of ice water and time how long you can keep it there until it hurts too much. Right. The first time, do it while you're all alone in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. The second time you do it, have all your family and pets around you and watch how much longer you can keep your hand in. I mean, these studies have been done. Mm -hmm. So again, your being there alleviates pain. It, it takes away a percentage of the side effects and discomfort and everything else yeah. than a person who's isolated and alone. And, and and not feel guilty that you can't fix it and cure it. And, you know, I went through that in my early years as a doctor, uh, you know, with our family. And oh, it, you have to learn how to accept and live with it. Mm -hmm. That's why we, you know, that book, Love, Animals and Miracles, anybody who loves pets and animal stories will love it. I mean, some are mystical as well, but I saw that our kids grew up with a reverence for life because we had what I call the Seagull Zoo, fenced in yards with all kinds of creatures, ducks and geese and goats and you name it, and a house full of all kinds of exotic pets that veterinarians gave us to rescue them. But I saw what a difference it made in our kids' lives, you know, that life was precious to them. And, uh, and it also showed about relationships. Everything that hatched out of an egg thought up our kids were their parents because it was in an incubator. Yeah. And the ducks and geese used to try to get on the school bus and go to school with our kids <laughs> because, you know, they're leaving and, and yeah. yeah, and the, the drivers all knew and laughed and, you know, didn't get mad at me. <clears throat> but when we, just to show you how meaningful the relationships are, when we would end up with too many ducks and geese, my folks lived on a lake, fortunately, so we'd release them there. And my mother called me the first time it happened, said, I got a question for you. My neighbors want to know, what? Every time a school bus pulls up, the ducks and geese leave the lake and come up to the road. That shows you, you know, and it helps you survive. See, so yes, if your child has a, a life-threatening illness, get it a living thing to take care of. Yeah. Now, whether it's a bird in a cage, a fish, you know, in a tank or a plant, you tell your child you're responsible, see, mm -hmm. to fertilize the plant, get it sunshine, feed the fish, whatever it is. And studies again show those people live longer than ones with no relationships. Yeah. You know, and um, and laugh for no reason every few hours. Yes. I mean, if you can get your kid to laugh doing silly things, Oh, our kids are so embarrassed by me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I laugh because they said it saved me a lot of money because they stopped eating out with my wife and I because I would act so crazy in a restaurant. <laughs> you know, when a waitress would say, um, how's everything? I'd say, look, if you read the paper and listen to the news, you know everything isn't okay, so stop upsetting me while I'm eating. You know, <laughs> or I'd order Chinese food and pizza restaurant, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so they would say, Dad, we'll stay home and have what's in the fridge. And I saved a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but find things for them to laugh about. Yes. See? And one statement that came up, all these true stories, 
our five kids were making so much noise in the kitchen one night. I came in, I said, you may choose peace or you may choose conflict. And our daughter, with hearing impairment, said, I'll have pizza. <laughs> and so they all busted out laughing. You see, and then the argument is over, you know, uh-huh. and nobody ever forgets those moments. Yeah. But and also don't blame your children. Oh, I'm glad I mentioned about the hearing impairment because we had twins. The boy I mentioned with the bone tumor and his sister. Um, and my wife was exposed to German measles during the pregnancy. But since she was a school teacher, I figured she must have had German measles. You know, it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, and yet when the twins were born, you don't recognize that they're hearing impaired, okay? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that bothered me is teachers and their pediatrician said they were a problem. See, they weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And my wife, because of her experience as a teacher, finally said, test their hearing. And they were found to be hearing impaired. They, they're not bad kids who are disrupting the class. They can't hear the teacher. And so, again, don't blame your children. Do the tests. And, uh, you know, whether it's the x-ray or the hearing test or anything else, so that you know what the reason is and whether, you know, it's an emotional problem, physical problem or whatever is going on. And, and that's so relevant for children, for parents whose children have cancer because they're going through so many treatments and there's side effects from so many of those treatments and, and the children are going through the most difficult circumstances. We need to be as patient as we can with them and as loving as we can with them. Right. And, and as I say, to teach them the positive things because the doctors at the hospital who thought I was crazy, you know, with all the things I would lie to patients about. Mm-hmm. Um, began to realize I was right. See, it had beneficial effects. Then it became hospital policy. I mean, they even made a coloring book in the operating room uh-huh. for kids to draw several pictures, you know, from page one where you meet an anesthesiologist to the operating room. And don't let me forget to go, you know, back to this because I forgot what my other thought was. Oh, there are people who are being treated, see, in contrast to those who weren't and acted as if they were, who are being treated, who act as if they're not. Mm-hmm. And I've had calls from oncologists, radiation therapists saying, we thought that there was a mistake. The machine wasn't working, that, um, you know, that there was no chemotherapy. And then we saw your name in the chart. So we knew it's a crazy patient. <laughs> and they said to them, how come you don't have any reaction? I get out of the way and let it go to my tumor. That's a quote from one of my patients. Oh, wow. So they realized then these people will benefit from giving them hope and stop telling them you could be dead in two months. You're here. And they realized that if it's a Siegel patient, give them hope and give them treatment and see what happens. Don't tell them what's going to happen. I have a letter uh, that a man gave me. I happened to speak at the Veterans Hospital for Cancer Survivor Day. And he showed me this letter from 1991 in which the doctor says he'll be treated with chemotherapy and has about three and a half or four years to live. Well, the man's perfectly well and alive today and never saw that letter until recently. And I said to him, you'd be dead today if you'd seen that letter. Mm -hmm. Because I know patients who, when their hope is taken away, have just gone home and died. That's why I say don't. It's less likely to happen to a child. But... When the parents are told there's no hope, yeah, you go home and 
your kid feels it. Mm-hmm. So realize there is always potential. Yes. You, you know, I've had patients leave their troubles to God and have their cancer go away. I've had patients scream at God all night long saying, you either have me die tonight or I get better. I can't take this anymore. Yeah. And they got well. So you can use those techniques and let your child use them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then give them that kind of faith. And let me mention, yes, I would have back to books, The Love Medicine of Miracles. The book, The Art of Healing, has 60 drawings in it, which would help the parents to use them. Okay. See, every color has meaning. Yeah, it does. And just tell your kids for one simple exercise, draw a picture of our home and family. You want to put it on the refrigerator. Don't tell them you're analyzing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> our kids always hid their drawings from me unless they had a problem. See, then they'd come to me and say, Dad, what should I draw? Because they wanted help. Right. But if they were busy drawing a picture and I went into their bedroom, they would lie down on top of it so I couldn't see, <laughs> you know, and start interpreting what's yeah. going on. Right. Yeah. And I have to laugh. One boy brought me a black picture. Only crayon was black. And I said, what's going on in your life? This is worrisome. He said, no, it's not. I have three older brothers. That's the only crayon they give me. <laughs> so remember that you need to yeah. give them the full option of all the colors. Yes. So the art of healing, um, the book Smudge Bunny was a message. Well, it's a true story of a bunny we rescued. But my mother used to say, God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. So if you're a bunny and you're dumped in the woods, this is lucky, this is good, mom is nuts. But then they end up being house bunnies in the seagull household, literally, it's a true story. Uh Um, And then they're looking around saying, you know, mom was right, this is wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, look where we are. And the bunny, and they teach you. I mean, in real life, she taught me about forgiveness too, because one of our dogs, when I thought they knew each other well enough, and weren't a problem. I left them together for a few minutes and the dog bit the rabbit. Right. And oh, I felt so guilty. And the other thing that's fascinating with the rabbits, all the animals, the kids would always make me treat the pets. Mm-hmm. They didn't want anybody to die. Yes, we have veterinarians, but uh, it wore me out to come home from the hospital and then be handed pets, you know, whose life I needed to save. But while I was working on Smudge's wounds, I knew I was hurting her when she licked my hand. That impressed me that she didn't bite me. She licked my hand saying, you know, take it easy. Uh-huh. And, and yes, we communicate with animals as well as children through our consciousness. I mean, uh, I could get into the animal communication or you can read that book, yeah. Love Animals and Miracles. But the other thing was about forgiveness was the lesson she taught me because two weeks later, I couldn't find her in our front yard to bring her in at night because I worried about her in the dark, mm-hmm. whereas all the other pets could handle predators. You know, they yeah. were bigger and could climb a tree or do something. And um, I couldn't find her. And the dog who had bitten her was lying there. So I went over to pet him. And who was lying underneath him? The rat. <laughs> so I wouldn't see her and she could stay out. Uh-huh. That impressed the hell out of me. You know, that they became buddies helping each other now and not, you know, roughing each other up and playing games with each other mm-hmm. uh, that could hurt. So the animals are wonderful teachers. Um, 
The other book, if you felt you needed direction um, for children, was um, the, what was it? Um, yeah, Smudge Bunny. No, Smudge Bunny, I said. Yeah. Um, oh, Buddy's Candle. Yeah. Right. Buddy's Candle was written to help people deal with the loss of a loved one, be it a pet or a child or a family member. Um, and the key theme, because it was this theme that touched me when a member of my family died. In this case, the dog becomes the teacher. <clears throat> the, the boy has cancer and the dog he adopts ends up having cancer. Mm -hmm. But he says to his parents, like our seven-year-old said to me, stop being depressed, learn from Buddy. Look at him, he's running around having a nice day. So let's all have a nice day. Yeah. And when Buddy dies, the boy is so sad. And then the angel comes to him and says, come here, I want to show you something. And he takes him up to heaven. And there's a parade of all the dogs that have died that week. And they're all carrying a beautiful candle. It's just glowing. And the boy says to the angel, oh, there's a dog coming with a dark candle. And the angel says, well, go light it for him. And he runs up and it's his dog, Buddy. Aww. And he says, Buddy, I'm here to light your candle. And Buddy says, they do, but your tears keep putting it out. And boy, that theme helped me get over the grief uh -huh. that your tears are putting it out. That, you know, our loved ones don't want us to spend our rest of our lives crying about them. Um, but And the consciousness is there. Because I hear more stories from parents of children who've died that are so incredibly symbolic and significant that couldn't be accidents. I mean, your son studies butterflies. He dies. You go for a walk in Connecticut, in the woods. A butterfly joins you. You get home. You look it up in your son's books. It's a South American butterfly. What's it doing in Connecticut? Yeah. Yeah, his son. You're driving down the parkway, a pigeon lands in the lane, and your son raised pigeons, and says, you hear your son's voice, I don't mean the pigeon said it, but you hear this, your son say, mom, slow down. So he, she does. Comes around the turn in the parkway, sheet of ice, 20 cars piled up. So, huh, all these things. I hear voices too. Mm -hmm. uh, I have mystic friends who bring me messages from those who have died in my family. I mean, these things are not, believe me, they're not crazy. Consciousness doesn't end. When I was four years old, I had a near-death experience. I choked on a toy. And almost every child who has a near-death experience is upset when they don't die. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you're four years old and leave your body, wow, this is really neat. <laughs> And when I didn't die, it was like I was yelling, who did that? Because I was so upset. Um, and as I said, it was a toy I took apart and put the pieces in my mouth and aspirated them. So, you know, it happened. But it taught me something, that all this stuff isn't crazy. It's real. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, well, one more story. A young lady loved birds, and she died. At her sister's outdoor wedding, a bird landed in the tree and made such a racket they had to stop the wedding. And everybody said, well, your daughter's here. While she was telling this story in our cancer group, a bird flew in the open window 
Now, we sat in that room for years. No bird ever even banged into the window, let alone flew into the room. Yeah. And, of course, everybody's reaction was, oh, your daughter's here. Yeah. Yep. It's incredible stuff. I mean, I keep telling stories forever, but it, I'm it, it. you know, it, it makes it real. Yeah. That's the key word. You know, do something real. Make a difference in your child's life, in your life, doing something for someone else. And that's what creates the immortality, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Bernie. Uh, your stories are wonderful. And we could do this all day, I think. I could listen to you all afternoon. Um, but what we'll do is we'll, we'll finish up by, if you can share, what would be the best website for our audience to be able to learn more about you, to learn about your books? How can they Yeah, the Bernie, I mentioned briefly before, the Bernie Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, the Bernie Siegel, MD.com. They can communicate with me through it too. If they, okay. you know, where it says contact us, I'm the us. Okay, I don't, you know, people are always surprised when I email them and it's not a staff member. I said, no, it's me. So if you get an email with no punctuation and no capitals, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's me coming from my heart to you, if you know what I mean, not yeah. worrying about the punctuation. Because <laughs> some people wonder if I have hired. Uh, those whose IQs are not too high because of, you know, what the email looks like. Right. But I say, no, that's just me responding. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to, to work with all those things and look over the list of books, CDs too. Mm -hmm. Because when I talk about imagery, you can listen to the CD and it'll guide you. Like for, if, for therapy, there's one called Getting Ready. So you see positive images of chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, whatever and can play it for your children. Oh, wonderful. And it makes a difference. Don't ever forget this. Let me just describe the operating room a little more. Yes, I would tell the kids positive things before surgery. Uh, they would draw in the drawing, you know, in a book, like a little coloring book. And it's fascinating too, because it says in the book at the bottom, you will be met by an anesthesiologist who wears green pajamas, what looks like green pajamas. One boy drew the anesthesiologist in red. Why do you do that when it says green? I showed it to the anesthesiologist. He said, Bernie, his mother has muscular dystrophy. He could have an adverse reaction to muscle relaxants and it could be fatal. I said, then you look at that last page because if he draws himself purple, a spiritual color, I'm canceling the operation. I'm not gonna risk it. Mm -hmm. But on the last page, there was the red and black about I'm not happy and you know, my leg hurts kind of picture. Uh -huh. And so we went ahead with the surgery. The other is in the book, um, The Art of Healing, a child drew a picture of the operating room she's never been in. Now you say, what do you mean? I mean, symbolically, there are two lights, she has two yellow areas. There are black knobs where you bend the lights, four black knobs. Uh, the number of people taking care of her, little figures there. Mm -hmm. And herself, you know, on the table. Um, yeah, with, with covered by a blue sheet, so there's a piece of blue in there. I mean, it, you look at that picture, everybody in the operating room knows that she is unconsciously aware of the future and what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, those are the things they say that convert people and show the power of those beliefs. I played music in the operating room. And I'd say to the parents, do that for the kids when they're getting treatments. Mm -hmm. And it's kid music, if you know what I yeah. mean. I had music for adults as well as the kids. Yeah. 
and everybody in the room, see the nice part is when you play children's music, everybody in the room becomes a child again or talks about their kids or their grandchildren, you know, and it's, you got a family in the operating room then. Everybody's feeling different because of the music that's being played for the kids. Yeah. So use all those things, the colors, the drawings, the music, the positive images and words, and it's amazing what the child does. When we grow up, it's a problem because we start thinking and uh, it's a lot harder to convert the adult. As I said, 100 letters and 12 women show up. And the men are even harder than the women. I mean, just another statistic, women with the same cancers as men live longer because they're into relationships. And I mentioned the importance of that. Mm -hmm. And the men are into working. And if I can't work, what's the point of living? I mean, I have that statement made while a wife and two children are sitting next to a man who said, there's no point in living, I can't work anymore. Yeah. So let me say to the parents, if you develop an illness, don't just live in your head and pay attention to the illness. Don't forget your kids and your family too and spending time with them yeah. and letting them share with you. And last but not least, I say there's a book put out called The Energy Cure by William Bankston. We all have an energy, the energy of creation, let me put it that way, that's within us. So it's not that I'm the healer if I put my hands on you and you feel better. But what I've seen is, and I know that this works from being touched by healers, you feel the heat in their hands, they're transmitting an energy. Yep. So if your child has cancer, other illness, put your hands on your child and picture them doing all the things that they love to do. Riding a bike, playing, going to school, uh, you know, running around the front yard, taking the dog for a walk, it doesn't matter what. Yeah, Picture all those things and do it three, four, five times a day, just quietly with your child. You don't even have to explain to them what you're doing, but let the energy flow and see it happening. Mm -hmm. And I've seen, well, in studies, mice have been cured of cancer by doing this kind of thing you know, putting your hands over their cages. Mm -hmm. And one of our dogs who was supposed to die, I did it before I knew about it because I didn't want him die feeling unloved. The kids wouldn't let me euthanize him when the veterinarian said he should be put to sleep. I've never seen a dog this sick recover. But the kids said to me, no, you don't put your patients to sleep. You don't put Oscar to sleep. Mm -hmm. So we brought him home. And I put my hands on him every day, loving him, massaging him, and literally sharing my meals with him. And I noticed he didn't die. <laughs> in a few weeks, he's up walking around. I thought, well, what the hell's the point of keeping him in the house? <laughs> you know, I put him out in the yard with the other dogs, and he lived for three more years wow. with no sign of cancer, mm -hmm. which blew the veterinarian's mind. Mm -hmm. But I know these things are possible, so I'd say to parents, Remember the word potential. If you're gonna feel guilty, then okay, don't do it. You know, if, if the disease doesn't disappear, you don't have a miracle, whatever. But if you want to participate, then go ahead and do it because it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Thank you so much. And that's the key. Yeah, I have a button that I used to give people and it just said, you make a difference. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And when I'd see people acting in a loving way, I'd carry it over and, and give it to them. Uh -huh. And um, years ago, there was a lot of guilt in all the things I'm saying to you, you know, that if you ask them to do these things and they don't get well, it's their fault. No, but it's, let's put it this way, it's willingness to show up for practice. So be a life coach for your child and for yourself and the members of your family. Mm -hmm. And be what I call a love warrior. Bring love into your life as your weapon. So whenever things aren't going well, more love. People who give you a problem, love them, you know? And uh, don't fight battles and fight wars. Heal your life. Maybe closing with what Mother Teresa said would be the best. She said, I will never attend an anti-war rally, but if you ever have a peace rally, call me. Right. Yep. And so I'd say work at healing your life, not killing you know a disease and it's amazing what then happens mm -hmm. well thank you that is so wonderful thank you so much bernie wasn't that fabulous some of the books he mentioned in part two of this interview are love magic and mud pies about how to raise a child to feel loved love medicine and miracles the art of healing smudge bunny love animals and miracles and his CD, Getting Ready, as well as The Energy Cure by William Bangston. To learn more about Dr. Bernie Siegel, you can visit his website, thebernieseagelmd.com. That's T-H-E-B-E-R-N-I-E-S-I-E-G-E-L-M-D.com. Links to all of Bernie's books will also be posted on our blog at twomothersoneprayer.com slash blog. Please join me on the show next week when I will be sharing my interview with chaplain and author Tiffany Berg Coffrin as we discuss additional ways to help children and adults express their feelings before, during, and after treatments. It's a great follow-up from my interview with Dr. Bernie. Before we end our show today, we have one last segment. Over the last few years, I have asked other cancer moms what advice they wish they had known when the child was first diagnosed. I've compiled that information and will be sharing their advice each week. You can download the top 101 pieces of advice that I put together as a mini ebook at twomothersoneprayer.com/advice. Today's advice comes from Denise. She said, "The piece of advice that has stuck with me was, your child is not a milk carton. There is no expiration date on the bottom of their feet." Meaning, the doctors can have all their opinions, but the truth is, they really do not know the future of my child. They are just guessing. And after listening to Dr. Siegel's interview, I would think he would agree. Thank you, Denise, for sharing that. If you have advice that you have learned along the way that you wish someone had told you weeks, months, or years earlier, I invite you to fill out the contact form on our website, twomothersoneprayer.com slash contact, and I will be sharing your advice with our listeners on future shows. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule today to listen to the Hope, Strength, Courage podcast. I look forward to sharing more experts and advice with you again next Wednesday. Please remember to take a minute to subscribe to the show. Thanks also need to go out to our Hope, Strength, Courage production team, which consists of Kyle Outridge Productions and music by Fizz Anthony. To learn more about myself, Laura Lane, and to order my book, please visit twomothersoneprayer.com.